0: As you make your way in, will you stand with us as we worship our King this morning?
1: Good morning. You can have a seat.
2: Good morning.
1: Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Yes, yes you're welcome. <laughs> um, we are glad to worship together with y'all today. What a gift it is to be together with the local
2: church. It sure is. And on this Mother's Day, I I, I got to introduce my mom. That's 94. That was here the first service, and it's just really, really special. Mm-hmm. But we also know with everything that has so much joy, there are some that this is a really, really hard day. Thank you for having the courage to be here with us in the hard and in the joyful. We need to be together.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't say this in the first service, but Mark Schatzman's mom passed away this morning at 4 a.m. So um, if you all know Mark and their family, please reach out and um, just send, send your love their way uh we have summer is coming and we have a lot of ways for you to connect we don't want summer to be a time of isolation and disconnection so uh, a lot of ways you can see on the screen you can go to our website and find all of that Fellowshipbenville.org forward slash news I know that's a long thing just go to the website
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. and click several times yes. uh, <laughs> hey um, in two weeks, we start our new summer series on spiritual rhythms, and um, the books will be for sale after this service um, in that that side of the booth, and they'll be $10, and it will really help aid our, our study together this summer.
1: Mm-hmm. So this morning, we get to participate in a child dedication, so I want to invite up the families um, who are dedicating a child and... It is one of our favorite Uh-oh. things. Uh
2: oh! Because you
1: never know what to expect. It's real and... life, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: hey, congregation! As you're watching these families come up and these babies come up, we get to do this with this, these families. These families are saying we want to spiritually develop the next generation for Jesus, and they invite us into the process which means we have a part two. We get to encourage, we get to pray for them. We get to be a part of these moms and dads' lives. We get to invite them into our home. We get to lead cell groups and small groups of, of these kids. And I think it's a privilege that we get to do this as a church family. And moms and dads, we want you to know we're here for this journey. It's a hard journey. You've already figured lots of that out, but we're here with you, and we want to encourage you, and we want to help you as you begin to disciple-make, because disciple-makers is what we're praying for each of these kids.
1: Yeah, let me introduce these families to y'all. So we'll start off, this is kind of like elementary school. We got girls on this side, and then we'll go to get to the boys (laughs) later. So uh, Blake and Laura... Clayton with their daughter Vivian are and on she the end there. He has
2: a little lip gloss. So uh-huh.
1: that's good. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> looking good. Uh, this is Dave and Ann Picanio and their daughter Rosalie. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel and Sarah Bennett, their son Ezra. Stylin'. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> Dude is raising the bar. He is He's raising already the looking bar, too. <laughs> Brian and Christine Pendry with their son Owen. Hey, Owen. And Danny and Haley Sullivan with Jordan right here and Ethan. But Ethan's already been dedicated. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Big brother. Just
1: along for the ride. Good job, Ethan. Yeah.
2: We have no idea what God's going to do in these families' lives, but we want to be with you. We want to be with them. Who knows? They're going to be in school together, be in cell group together. They might even be neighbors together might even marry each other. Who
3: knows?
2: (laughs) But we want you to know for the next two decades, your church family wants to walk with you. We want to help you in any way that we can. But most of all, we want to be praying for you often. And we want invite your families and your community groups to come on up now, and you get to circle around these families and pray over them. Mm-hmm. And church family, you get to do the same. You can do it just by yep. yourself. You can do it with somebody next to you. But will you pr- pray with us that these children will come to know Christ at a young age, mm-hmm. that they will follow God wholeheartedly, and that someday they will, too, become disciple-makers.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, before we pray, I want to uh, ask the parents. Beth jumped the gun on this one. Oh, We're supposed can you to believe do a parent that? <laughs> affirmation here. Um, I'm just kidding, Beth. You did great. Um, so, parents, uh, just want to encourage you all. I want to give you all a chance to affirm your commitment to Jesus and to raising these kids in a God-glorifying home. So... Um, As you know, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who you are. So the most important thing you can do is follow Jesus. Stay in his word, be in community. Um, So parents, do you commit to loving your kids with Christ-like love, leading through humility, apologizing to them when you mess up, teaching them God's word, and investing them in biblical community and shepherding them as the gift from the Lord that they are? If so, say, we will awesome hey let's take the next few minutes to pray for pick a name up here pray for all of them and uh, we're just gonna have a few minutes to pray uh, for these kids as they at these as these families pray together Lord, we do pray for these kids. We pray that they would come to know you at a young age. We pray that they would follow you. Pray that they would be part of your mission to make disciples who make disciples. We pray if you have for them to get married one day, that you would give them a godly spouse. We pray for their mate, even even now. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this uh, gift of new life. And we pray for these kids, that they would be world-changing followers of Christ. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all encourage them. As they uh, exit, I'm going to invite Beth Kenyon to join me. She was surprised at the 845 service. She won't be surprised at this one. Um, Beth has been at fellowship since the first small group, right? Since fellowship was a small group. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Beth has been around fellowship since the beginning. Um, She's been on staff for over 30 years. And uh, she has been a spiritual mother to a lot of kids, Uh, leading the elementary team uh, so well. And, uh, man, grateful for Beth. Cried at the first service. What's the matter with me? Golly. Um, Great teammate to me. Uh, And we're just so grateful for for Beth. So would y'all... She's retiring. That's why I'm up here. She's retiring uh, July 1. And so... um, Just wanted to take a minute to honor her, to thank her, and would you all thank her for her investment in our church body?
0: Well, you can go ahead and stay standing. Well done. Uh, And in a spirit of continuing in celebration, uh, celebrating Beth, um, and then also moving in and celebrating the redemption of Christ in our life as he's created us, we focused on the image of God, how we're created in his image to then know him and to express him in this world. So this morning we've picked some songs that, uh, like some hymns and some songs that are hopefully really well known so that we can encourage each other in hearing our voices, which is something unique about coming together is that we get to be together we can hear each other we can worship together and be reminded that we're not alone in being created in his image and then being able to gather and worship our creator so will you sing songs with us this morning
4: Come thou Fount, and come thou Fount every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for song. mountain fixed upon it, mountain of thy redeeming
5: love in Christ alone my hope is found he is my life my strength my soul this cornerstone this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought in storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace,
3: when fears are stilled, when winds and
4: my comforter. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: you. Yeah.
6: A seat. Hey, I've got this great idea. Why don't we start out by just putting all the cuteness in the world on the stage? And then let's bring up an incredible person like Beth Kenyon and honor her. And then we'll let Doug preach. I don't know whose idea that was, but anyway, uh, at least I don't have one of the hard sermons of this series. So I want to do a quick review of two things that we've looked at in our study about being in the image of God. First of all, when we looked at what it meant to be made in the image of God, we saw that it was intricately connected to God's plan and his purpose for us. That he made us in his image because his plan and purpose for us required that we be in his image to fully live that out. So we saw that, that the, our plan in, God's plan and purpose and, and what he made us for and our being in the image of God was intricately connected. But then the second thing we saw was that when Adam and Eve sinned, what we call the fall, it broke everything. All of God's creation was affected by Adam and Eve's sin. So that brings the question up today that we're going to look at. And that is this did humanity's sin ruin God's plan and purpose for his creation? God had this great plan and purpose, and when Adam and Eve sinned, did that mess up God's plan? Or to put it another way, is the rest of the Bible after the fall just God's plan B? So in order to kind of dig in and answer that question, We're going to kind of walk, we're going to walk through, uh, we're going to go from Genesis literally to Revelation. You don't have anywhere to be, right? No, we won't take that long. But we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to see God's plan unfold. And so I want us to look through a broader view of God's plan and His purpose for humanity as we walk through some scriptures that will unfold the plan to us, and we're going to see if humankind's sin actually did change God's plan for us. So let's start with Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. The fact that God made us in his image indicates that we were made to have relationship with him. Let me illustrate this, if I can, from the story of when God made Eve. We read the story. It begins, and God looks at Adam and says, It's not good that the man be alone. I'm going to build a partner. um, Someone who will correspond to him. I'm going to build what's missing. Put them together. And so... If you're like me and you read that story, you would expect the next part would be, and so then God made Eve and brought him, brought her to Adam and said, here you go. That's not how the story goes, is it? We read that story, and immediately what God did is he started bringing animals to Adam to see what he would name them. And you go, well, what's that all about? Until you get to the end of that piece, and it says, and there was not a companion, a partner that corresponded to him found among all the animals. And so then God puts Adam to sleep, takes a piece of his side, makes Eve, brings her to him, and this is what Adam says. And I believe this is from the New Living Testament, but he says, at last, this one, as opposed to all the other things you brought to me, this one is bone of my bone." flesh of my flesh. She is like me. You see, for there to be relationship at the level that God intended for Adam and Eve to have relationship, there had to be an alikeness. There had to be a sharing of image. So the fact that God made us in his image is an indication that one of his primary purposes for us is to have relationship with him there had to be an a likeness, a sharing of image so that we could have the kind of relationship that God wants for us and then <clears throat> this shows up later in the story where God comes and walks in the in the garden to to, to be with Adam and Eve and it's a little hard to see it in, in most English translations but the 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 implication of the language there is that this was a common thing. This was an expected thing. It's like at His usual time, God comes to the garden to be with Adam and Eve. God wanted to be with them. And so He designed Adam and Eve in His image to be with Him and to have a relationship with Him. And We began to see... uh, God's purposes for humanity. And then we see the very first command that God gave to Adam and Eve was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I think it's safe to say when we look at this command, it shows that God loves people. I have to remind myself of that sometimes, that God actually loves people, because sometimes I don't love people. Sometimes I don't love me and I'm a people. So anyway... God loves people. God loves people a lot. And he wanted an earth full of them, so God wants to love a lot of people. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So what God was saying to Adam and Eve is, I want you to fill the earth with people like you who walk with me. Who are with me. Now, all of this took place before the fall, but it gives us this broad view of what God's plan and purpose for humankind is. But as we've noted, man and woman sinned, and that choice affected every part of God's creation. So, how did it affect God's plan and purpose? Well, as the story moves forward, we start seeing the effects of sin uh, show up in broader and deeper ways until we get to uh, all the way from the first murder, when we it's the story of Cain and Abel, until we get to Genesis chapter 6. And this is what it says as it describes what humankind has become like. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is a dark description. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil evil continually. And when we read that, one might conclude, surely sin has had to have changed God's plan. But then we get to verse 8, and we see this man Noah, who found favor or grace in the eyes of God. And it goes on to describe Noah as being righteous and blameless and walking with God. He was part of Adam and Eve's obedience to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people like you who walk with me. And so God reveals to Noah that he's going to judge the sinfulness of mankind, but he provides a way of escape for Noah and his family in the ark. God rescues Noah's family, and then he gives them this commandment. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God is saying to Noah, I want you to go fill the earth with people like you who are righteous and walk with me. Then as God continues to unfold the plan, we come to Genesis chapter 12. We come to a man named Abram. You may know him better as Abraham. And God tells Abraham, I'm going to use you to be a part of my mission in this world, and God explains what he's going to do and all these things and makes these promises. And it says that Abraham believed God. He trusted that what God was saying was true and that God would keep his word. He trusted, he put his faith in God. And God said, I will count that as righteousness for you. And then God says to him, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now notice the shift in language. To Adam and Eve, to Noah and his family, God gave commands. But to Abraham, God gave a promise. I will do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fill the earth with people like you who walk with me in faith and bless the whole earth. Now let's jump ahead to the story in the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus. And At the end of his ministry, Jesus is getting ready to go back up into heaven as he gathers his disciples. He said, come here, guys. I need need to leave some, some instructions for you. Here's what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do to continue this mission, this plan, and this purpose that I have. And the language begins to sound kind of familiar. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, the whole earth. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, to walk in all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was saying to the disciples, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to all nations and I want you to fill the earth with people like you who follow me in faith and obedience. So my point is, God's plan doesn't change. From the beginning... God's plan has always been to fill the earth with people who will live in loving, worshipful relationship with Him. And the fall of humanity into sin didn't change that plan and purpose at all. God doesn't have a plan B. All He's ever had is plan A. And that is that you and I, that humanity... An earth full of us would spend life together with Him forever. But it feels like something changed. Sin did affect something. So what did the fall do? It didn't change God's plan. It actually launched the second part of God's plan. It launched the plan where God goes on his mission to rescue and redeem and restore all that sin had broken. So the next thing I want us to consider then is how did God accomplish this plan? His plan for us to live in loving, worshipful relationship with him. See, as we looked at this, the image of God fallen, one of the things that stood out real quickly to us is that the relationship with God was broken. God came to walk with Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve hid from God. The relationship was broken. Adam began to blame God for everything that happened to him. Eve began to resent God for everything that happened to her. And mankind's relationship, that loving fellowship, that worshipful relationship was broken. And in order for God's plan and purpose to be fulfilled, he had to do something about that. So what did God do to accomplish His plan and His purpose? Well, Let's go back to Genesis 3. in Verse 15. What did God do? First, He says He would accomplish His plan through His promised seed. In Genesis 3.15, God's speaking to the serpent about the results of Adam and Eve's sin. And he says there's going to be enmity or violent hatred between the seed of the woman and the serpent. Let me just make a note here. We're not talking about snakes. Although, if you have enmity between you and a snake and you want to kill it, I will not judge you for that. My philosophy is if a snake lets me see it, its life is forfeit. If it wants to live, it needs to stay out of my sight. We'll all just be happy, okay? And if you want to know, is there enmity between Eve and the serpent, you might want to talk to my wife uh, and her recent encounter with a snake in our backyard. But anyway, I'm not talking about snakes here. We're talking about the entity behind the deceit, which is Satan himself. And what God is saying is to, to Satan himself, say, Satan, you and all of your following. Are going to be at constant battle with the seed of the woman. You see, the use of the term her seed is really unique. This term seed is almost always used of the male. And so, in this brief statement, what God is saying is He's given us this picture of how He's going to accomplish. His plan to fix what sin has broken by using the offspring of a woman. Now, the fulfillment of that promise in the garden, all the way back with Adam and Eve, shows up in the Gospels. In Matthew's account, he tells us about the birth of Jesus. And in one part of that, he says this, all this took place to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah that the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. A child, a son, born purely of a woman. A seed of a woman. The only one. The only one that's ever happened. The only time we can point to in history and say, this child is absolutely nothing but the seed of the woman. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, He was telling us that Jesus was coming. What's God going to do to fix it? He's going to, the second person of the Godhead is going to take on flesh, be born as a child. He's going to step into all this mess that sin has created, and he himself is going to be the solution. I find it interesting that God started humanity with a man. That God brought about salvation through the woman. That brings us to the second part of God's plan. How's he going to do this? He's going to crush the serpent's head, but how is he going to do it? Well, in Genesis 3.15, he says that while, while he is crushing the serpent's head, the serpent is going to strike his heel. In this battle between woman's seed and the serpent, the son is going to be gravely wounded. And then we go down to verse 21 in Genesis 3. And there's this note that's kind of put there. And God took skins and made clothes and covered Adam and Eve. Has it occurred to you that the only way you can take an animal's skin is by killing it? The very first death as a result of sin was the sacrifice of an innocent animal so that the sinfulness of Adam and Eve could be covered. How's God going to do this? The very next chapter in Genesis, we see Abel bringing a sacrifice to God, a sacrifice of a lamb that he's offering to, He's killed and he's offered it to God. Where did he learn to do that? Why? How did he know? In fact, in the conversation between uh, God and Cain, because Cain didn't, didn't bring an animal sacrifice and, and God rejected his sacrifice, God said, Cain, you knew. How did he know? Because the example that God set. And from that point on, all throughout the rest of, the, of the, the Old Testament, a sacrifice has always been given to cover sin. And so then we get to Romans chapter 5 in the New Testament, and we see this principle is taken up and applied to Jesus. And I want you to, to follow with me in Romans chapter 5 and see what, what he's saying there. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for, on behalf of, and in the place of, the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And then focus on verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. That's what God had to do in order to bring back his plan and purpose. We are reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus died as an innocent sacrifice in our place in order to cover our sin and make it possible for us to be reconciled, reconnected, re-related back into that fellowship with God that was broken by sin. How did God accomplish His plan? He accomplished it in Jesus Christ. And that tells us that through Jesus God has done, is doing, and will do everything necessary to complete his plan to rescue, redeem, and restore all that sin has broken. So God had this plan, and the plan has not changed. Sin tried to derail the plan, but it didn't because God came in and he fixed it through what he did in Jesus Christ. But finally, then, I want us to see a picture of what does God's plan completed look like? What does it look like? And he gives us a couple of, of pictures in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, perhaps an earth full. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Does that sound like loving worship to you? An uncountable multitude surrounding God in loving worship. And then in Revelation 21, we see a picture of a new heaven and a new earth. Made whole again with all the effects of sin removed. And this is what it says in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. and They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God down in verse 5 it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The dwelling place of God is with man. Because that was God's plan and purpose all along. The earth will be full of people who by faith walk with God in righteousness and obedience and spend eternity in loving worship and relationship with him. God's plan has always been for mankind to live in loving, worshipful relationship with Him and to fill the earth with people who love and worship Him. But What I want us to walk away with today is also this. I want us to have the realization, the assurance, the encouragement, the hope that comes from knowing that God wants to rescue, redeem, and restore You, from all that sin has broken in you and around you. Not just mankind, not just humanity, you. Because God doesn't just love people. God loves persons. He loves you and he loves me. And he knows who you are and everything about you. And he knows who I am and everything about me. And God wants me and you. Individually and corporately, to live in loving, worshipful relationship with Him for all of eternity. And God has done and is doing and will do everything necessary through Jesus Christ so that you and I can do that. God's image in us fell. But that didn't derail God's plan. It just launched the plan of Jesus Christ to bring us back into, to reconcile us into relationship with Him. So man, I want you to come up here with me. We sing a song here The part of it goes I know how the story ends. We do, don't we? How does it end? We will be with you again. You're my savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. Because we know how the story ends. So Let's stand. And let's just sing a declaration of our hope. And our trust that God will complete his plan and purpose for us.
0: I know how this sings my soul. As we look forward to that day. And would you teach us and shape us now on this side of heaven to live in a worshipful, loving relationship with you, that we would practice what we're going to do for eternity. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. you sing with me one more time. And how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. All will see how great, how great.
6: you need prayer, uh, we've got a prayer team. Art and Bob Alderson will be over here. They'd love to pray with you and pray for you. Fellowship, go and walk with Jesus in loving, worshipful relationship. God bless you all.